Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Hero. Marler, Saturday was Saturday was weird. It was weird, man. It was really, really weird. What you do with your first free Saturday in four months? We mean free Saturday. Well, it was I mean the last free, free in a sense that you weren't working all day watching games and stuff. Right. I mean, like Army Navy game is on, but it's always just kind of background. The Heisman's on at night, but it's a different kind of Saturday. I think it's. I think it's safe to say you can actually do stuff during the day for the first time in four months. Yeah, I got like th- I hate this weekend more than any other weekend in football. Like even cupcake weekend, to be honest, or cake weekend. Cake weekend, um, thank you. Because this is it. Just it just sucks. It's just it's like the end of the regular season. Like I, I said this before, my dad said a lot of stuff in his life, and most of it was wrong. But one thing I think he got right was this game is awesome, but it's like the most depressing game of the year. Because it signifies the end of the football season. So I get like super bummed when I watch the Army-Navy game because you just know it's coming to a close. Um, so yeah, I watched game day. I watched uh, the Army-Navy game. I watched the Heisman. And I teared up through all three because I knew uh, football's over for a week until bowl season starts. Yeah, it kicks back up. It's it's, it's I don't really get like a that sort of end of season feeling with this just yeah. because I know that bowl season is going to get crazy. And because... If you think about it, we four okay, so f- I guess four weeks from today, there's still going to be college football. The national championship yeah, is fair. January 13th this year, so I don't really get the same sort of feeling. Well, no, I get that too because you're a logical, insane person um, <laughs> that has other things going on for their life. But no, I mean, for me, like I made the mistake of putting this, I think, on a uh, on Twitter the other day. I said out loud to Allie, I was like, "What am I supposed to do?" Every single weekend. I have nothing to look forward to until August. She's like, we're getting yeah. married in April. Yeah. Like, but no, it was just, I, I always hate this weekend just because it's like all of the teams don't make a bowl. It seems like they do. But, you know, anyway. It's a nice weekend. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my Saturday. Um, got to, uh, we ran, uh, went, went out for a run in the morning, went and did like a bunch of bunch of errands, some of which were the fun sort of errands, um, some of which were not as much. I mean, just, you know, that's kind of run-of-the-mill type stuff these days. Taxidermy? But, uh, going to Target the Saturday, two Saturdays before Christmas is, is a little bit tough. Everybody knows yeah. kind of where I'm at with that when you just get six random things, but Target's great. Um, and then we, of course, went to Gideon's Cookies, as I've talked about on this podcast before. If you live in Orlando, if you've been to Orlando and you haven't been to Gideon's, you're not doing it right. Um, so I mean, no nice free spun- or no free ad reads, but yeah, no free ad reads. But if they ever awesome. want, if they ever want to throw a you know little ad deal uh, for cookies, our way, yeah, for cookies. My uh, my wife actually uh, heard. I think she did a. It wasn't her Instagram story, but she just like did a, a pick on Insta. Follow Lauren Sadam on Instagram. Gideon's cookies are insane. They're unbelievable. Yeah. Um, right. Real quick though, I got to say one thing before we get started on the actual podcast. I did go to the DMV on Friday, which was oh, not no. great. What was great. Saw Frozen 2. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. It's not as good as the first one, but there are moments in the second one that are very laugh out loud funny. I thought it was better than the second or the first one. Really? But it was like, yes and no. Like the ending was better. That whole thing, the story was better. It was way more in depth. Like, and there was also weird stuff. Like you just like, I don't like watching movies where something happens and you just like have to accept that's now a thing. Like there's no background story to it. It's like, oh, she's just riding that horse. All right, cool. That's a real thing now. That horse yeah. was like trying to kill her. Oh yeah. Anyway, go see the movie. It's fantastic. There's a part with Olaf in there that I, 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 I legitimately laughed out loud in the theater for a solid 15 seconds. Very, yeah. very funny. Oh, very, in the in the dark. don't want to spoil it. The 80s. Oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about too. It was yeah. hilarious. Yes. The 80s uh, rock ballad 
yes. was really good. Level. Really, really next good. Level. I said, I said to Lauren, right when we were watching that, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of feeling this right now. This is really, yeah. really good. This is like totally not not a Disney type thing, but it was a jam. I'm definitely. If you guys are worried about what the off season is going to bring, you should be <laughs> because it's going to strictly be a uh, what do you call it? A, a Frozen Two podcast. And I, I do have one more announcement before you get into the the ad read for Sweet Hop. We have a bull pick'em league. It's up and running. Let's go. Let's yeah, go. there you go. So it's on ESPN. Same thing we did last year uh, through ESPN. We did confidence points instead of just straight up. Best way. So to do you it. pick every single game. You put your confidence points in there. The name of the group is the SDS Pod Bowl Pick'em. Pretty simple. We'll just do the pinned uh, pin post on our Facebook group as well. We'll, we'll as soon as I figure out how to do that, because I have apparently I have two ESPN accounts and I can't figure out how to link one of them that works. So all right. we'll get some we'll get some of the high tech guys from the pod group in there on that. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll link all that and then uh, and we'll give away some good prizes for it. Awesome. Need to sign up for that. Confidence pool is the only way to go. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today. We're going to talk to our uh, our good buddy, Michael Bratton, or as you call him, Michael Wayne Bratton. Michael Wayne Bratton. He's on top of all things recruiting. He heads up our news team. We're going to talk to him about some early signing period stuff. We have some other early signing period stuff that we want to talk about as well before we get him on. We, of course, are going to talk Heisman Trophy. We've got a little bit of Ed Talks, going to kind of put some of the Burrow stuff in perspective, even spinning it forward to 2020 Heisman Talk because don't you know wow. the odds are already out? Of course they are. And then we have a little bit of stuff that I wanted to kind of clean up on players that are sitting and playing in bowl games. Some stuff that we talked about a little bit the other day, but we've gotten some more clarity on some certain situations in the SEC. But before we do all of that, got to tell you about our friends over at Sweet Hop. Actually, Candler reached out and said, hey, you know, I heard the, the Sweet Hop ad that you guys do and want to let you know I actually use Sweet Hop. And he, he got the $500 off. And he said he's used other competitors before. I'm not making this up. This isn't part of the ad. Awesome. He texted me about this the other day and he said, you know, the, the $500 off, the customer service is, is just awesome with Sweet Hop. I had such a great experience. Cannot recommend it enough. And that's coming from somebody who buys sweets for all the George games. I mean, he is, he is there. He is on top of it so take it for for take it from him especially so the college season as we know coming to a close but there is still time to catch your team in a bowl game the lineups are set and all you need is your ticket into the big game whether you're hopping on a plane to go see clemson take on ohio state in the desert at the fiesta bowl packing up for the beach to watch florida play virginia in the orange bowl or hitting up the city your city atl to watch Hey-o. national championship contender lsu matchup against oklahoma for the peach bowl in atlanta Seeing a college game in a pro stadium is the ultimate fan experience. Pro stadiums are chock full of amenities, and they have the best vantage points. The suites at a pro stadium take that up to a whole new level. Suites were made for discerning football fans who want to not only see every play, but also want comfort, fine food, and access to an elevated experience. Our friends at Sweet Hop will set you up and your group with the ultimate experience in a VIP suite for your bowl game. Suites comfortably seat groups of 12 to 40 people. They include special access to VIP parking, extra wide seats, big screen TVs, premium catering, and lots of other exclusive perks, not to mention getting to skip those long lines onto the concourse. Don't just see the game, sweet the game. If you're already, if you are ready to live the sweet life, visit sweethop.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-H-O-P.com to book the experience of a lifetime before it's too late. And if your team didn't make a bowl game this year, that's totally fine. Did you know that Sweet Hop can hook you up with suites at other events and venues as well, from concerts and pro sports to Supercross and family events? Sweet Hop is the largest luxury box and VIP suite marketplace in the world for private and shared suites. They have the best selection for stadiums and arenas nationwide. With Sweet Hop, there are no 
hidden fees, and you'll have access to our friendly, knowledgeable, personalized service team of Sweet experts. Our partners at SweetHop are offering 500 American US dollars off a private Sweet purchase for college bowl games exclusively for Saturday Down South listeners. Just head to SweetHop.com. Once again, that's S-U-I-T-E-H-O-P.com and use the code SDS for $500 off any private suite. Discount is valid only on a purchase of $10,000 or more. All right, let's talk Heisman. It was great watching that over and over again. I don't know how many times I've watched Burrow's speech, but it's been a lot. Let's just say that. Yeah. I've watched it several times already. As we found out, we were talking about this the other day. I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought he was going to be one of the most dominant winners ever. As it turned out, no. Joe Burrow is your most dominant Heisman winner of all time. He set the record for the highest percentage of possible points. He beat out Troy Smith. He beat out Reggie Bush. He set the record for most first place votes. The speech, as I said, unbelievable. Thanking everybody individually. Love that he went went around. He dapped everybody up. Even got Ryan Day, who he you know was there with for a year. Yeah. Ryan Day's first year at Ohio State, and he was there as well. Just so so cool. Somebody who just understood the moment and that was the big takeaway watching him of like everything about what we've seen from Joe Burrow this year is this kid gets it and that moment I thought was just more proof of that yeah it was interesting to watch um and contrary to what I've learned from several people on social media this week that have informed me that I hate LSU and and hate uh, just wear your LSU Rouge. hat for the rest of the the rest of the, the bowl season. I, I might have fine. to. Yeah. I might have to. This was like I, I made a joke beforehand, and and it was like <laughs> I said something about how is it even a real Heisman Trophy ceremony if there's not a white running back that the fifty percent of the country thinks should win? From Stanford. and I was obviously kidding, and it was because there you know like we kept thinking like Allie kept saying she was like what if he doesn't win, and I was like it's not it's impossible. And, and we kept thinking, like, all week, like, you kind of want some buildup. You know, you want, like, a little bit of excitement, I guess. Because um, otherwise, it, you, you kind of feel bad for the other three guys because he just blew them out. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, and they knew it, though. They knew it. Yeah. But, and, you know, and I know Chase Young, they all had great seasons. And Justin Fields, it's the second year in a row where you really look at these, these other finalists and you're like, man, like, I think the guy who won this year was the most deserving player in the country, Right. But those other finalists put up monster years. Justin Huge Fields, years. not like it, like not enough is made of the fact that Justin Fields had one interception. Yep, one interception, and you know Chase Young with sixteen and a half sacks while sitting two games, and and then you know you look at uh, you look at Jalen Hurts, who I didn't know this, I had no idea that he had, and I know it's one more game, but the fact that his numbers were better than Manziel in two thousand twelve, and I thought that was a really cool stat. I didn't, I should have known it was going to be immediately met with against oh, the Big Twelve. Yeah, it makes sense. But it was really cool to watch all three of those guys up there, or all four of those guys up there. The thing with Joe Burrow was it took 13 games. It took four games against top 13 defenses or top 13 teams. It took your first win in Tuscaloosa in, in what, eight years. Your first win against Bama in eight years. It took your first SEC championship and undefeated season in eight years. Your first offensive player that was a finalist for the Heisman LSU in 60 years. Took all of that. To finally realize that Joe Burrow is human, because when he cried, I was like, "Oh my God, I'm not yeah. able to keep it together." I, and I, I was like trying to record a like video of, of his speech, and I didn't realize because I didn't listen to the whole thing through because I was just trying to post it. You're crying, very the background. Of, dude. At the very <laughs> so, and I, I'm like, I'm crying the whole time, and I'm turning around like, like, like fist pumping Allie. I'm like, "This is awesome. This is awesome." Because like he handled that speech so well. Because for a second, I thought he was like, "Is he gonna forget Coach O?" 
He could he handled that speech in the same way his like progressions on the field were handled. It was just like I am in control. I am yeah. calm. Everything like you're worried about this this rush getting to me. Nothing unflappable. And it was one of the most. Inc- I have goosebumps just now like thinking about it. It was one of the the more heartfelt and, and heartwarming stories and speeches. I've, I've, I've ever heard from the Heisman. It was awesome. I'm going to say this because I know that if you said this, you would get crap for it. But I, I truly you. believe this. Um, it it kind of reminded me of watching Mark Ingram's Heisman speech. Of That's the kind of emotional connection where like, he was obviously so, so overcome with emotion yeah. too. But just realizing in that moment what that means to these kids and seeing... Wow! Like this is this is everything they've ever wanted, and this yeah. is you, we, you can talk about it all you want, but until it actually happens, that's the amazing thing, and that's what even if you hear, you know, you go back and you know there are certain guys who, if if they're becoming the number one overall draft pick or if they're winning the Heisman Trophy, it's amazing because they we spend all this time talking about it, but they'll often say, you know, I don't really believe it's actually going to happen until it does, and even right. with the most dominant Heisman winner of all time. It sort of seemed like that with Joe Burrow of this wave of emotion just hitting him all in this moment of what this means and all the people who have stood by him. I thought that was just so cool. And no matter who you're a fan of, I, I think that getting to appreciate this kid for this season, what he's meant to to that university, to that state, to that fan base, to, to everything has just been so special to watch. And I was glad to see that he was able to soak all of it in because yeah. you never know. You, you just never know. We're, we're, we're talking about high school, you know, kids that, that, you know, from, from high school onto this moment. Yeah. They have a lot of media, a lot of media exposure, but there's no guarantee that at 22, 23 years old, that they're going to get up there and look the part and Joe Burrow. Oh, that's a world part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like again, the fact that he was able to take time of his speech and make a comment about like, I don't want to say social issues because I'm not trying to be like political or anything like that or, or whatever, but the comment about like yeah, the, the poverty, poverty rate, Southeast the Ohio, poverty rate, yeah. that was incredible to, to have the wherewithal to, to mention that, to have the grace and dignity and class to thank his, like the, the people at Ohio State, because that was something we didn't talk about beforehand. And I, and I, I knew that they had to have overlapped, but that, that was not a big story really uh, going into this was Chase With Young Ryan versus Day. Joe Burrow. We, well, no, I meant like Chase Young and, and Burrow being teammates. Yeah, I just you know I thought that was really cool, and then but like for him like thanking like everyone for his time at Ohio State, and then saving the thing for Coach O for last. It was I did crack up when Coach O somebody reached out to hold Coach yep. O's hand. I don't know if it was Joe Burrow's mom or I thought originally it was it was Coach O's wife, but I think it might have been Burrow's mom. Yeah, it was a female for sure because it had very nice dainty hands, and they reached out to like grab his hand, and he immediately turned to fist bump, and I was like, this dude is so. On brand all the time. I love these two so much. And it's it was just okay. like, it was. I remember the 2009 year when, when Ingram won, and I'm not trying to compare it, you know, because every, every. No, I already did. This. I already compared it. It's fine. Right. But like when the 2009 year with, with Ingram, I remember watching that at like this Christmas party, and, and, and somebody came up from behind and gave me a big hug. He's like, hey, man, congrats. And it was like, oh, thanks, man. Because that season was just so special to go, to go beat. You know, they hadn't beaten Florida. This year, LSU kind of, that same thing was Bama, beating Bama and Tuscaloosa. Winning the SEC, having an undefeated season where I think they, they could win the national title. It was just, it's such a special year for, for him, for Coach O, for the fans. It was so cool, man. It was, it was honestly, it was so cool. And I, and I still, I think that might have been the best speech I've ever seen from the Heisman. Yeah, it, it was certainly up there. If it wasn't the best, I, I'd have a hard time saying that it wasn't, you know, within the top, the top few. 
but it was uh, it was straight from the heart and, and it was perfect. Obviously, he had a lot of time to prepare, but I mean, what a, what a landslide and, and what a great you know what a, just a great culmination for that kid. Obviously, he wants to be able to win a national championship. And the joke afterwards was, yeah, he probably spent about what two hours being able to celebrate it, and then immediately got to the game plan with Oklahoma and tried you know tried making sure that he got some work in on yeah. Saturday night. That's how locked in, laser focused he was. It was it was funny too, and I meant to say this earlier. I don't know how I my ADD kicked in, I guess, but the the comment they made on game day, because I was like, well, maybe maybe there'll be something that happens. Game day said they were going to have him on. They were like doing like the tease. Like, they're like you know, later we're going to talk to Joe Burrow. And you could tell there was like kind of like a, a awkward half second of silence, like recent, like forgot his line or something. And he's like, ask him, you know, what it's like to win a Heisman Trophy. And I was like, that's like eight hours from now. They, they haven't they have not announced it yet. Um, it was it was really cool, though, man. It was really cool. Do we have a certain Edward Ogeron? In the building. <laughs> Got him! Got him! How you doing, Got him? Once again, as I always say, not as good as you. Got him on the table, first off. First and foremost. Thank you. You are, you are out of here of all this. About Joe Burrow, the offense, what he could do. Okay? Your words, not mine. But, yeah. What I do want to say. Last night... Very emotional, very emotional time for me. See Joe Burrow go on stage, me give him a fifth bump out to everybody, hurt somebody's hand, I broke somebody's hand. I, w- I want to go, I don't, I don't want to make this about me, but I do want to tell you how special of a moment that was. Coach, are you crying again? You, you, bite your tongue, bite your tongue, Chris. You brought a list, you brought a list with you, what is this, is this your own Heisman speech? Un- Alright, Coach O brought a list of the top five moments that made him cry. Of all time. This ought to be good. I am calm. Listen up, yo. You ready for the lift? Are you ready for the lift? I'm ready. I'm ready. You I'm ain't crying yet. You ain't crying. Why am I the only one crying? Everyone on the podcast cries. Billy Crick. Crick cry all the time. Top five moment. That would make me cry. Talk about my man Joe Burrow. No five. Nick Saban. Got a contract extension. Go a year ago. That would not cry. I was a little bit nervous. A little bit nervous about that. Number four. You ever heard that song, Crip and Shoe? Crip and Shoe. Does that sound like neck? It is. I wish. It is not. It is like, dang your neck. Dang your neck. Toe opposite. Toe opposite. Okay. All right. Uh, Number three. Lion King. Mufasa died. I mean. Spoiler. Scar. Well, oh yeah, you ain't seen, if you ain't seen Lion King, I mean, go see it on Broadway. I went and saw it. I used to actually be on Broadway. I used to be a really good singer. Anyway, number two, Bubba Gump, Bubba Die, Bubba Die, and Forrest Gump. And it's, so listen, many spoilers, come on. I mean, you ain't seen Forrest Gump, will you not own VH1? It's on cable every weekend. True. Regardless, I, I mean, I wasn't sad, Bubba Die. I mean, Lieutenant Dan had became a girlfriend. He still had mom, all the other things. He still got Jenny, a little kid, whatever. I was sad because I kept thinking about all the gumbo. Mm-hmm. All the shrimp gumbo. Yeah. All the shrimp etouffee. All the gumbo. But we're going to miss out on in heaven. They got, you know they got a good pot of gumbo up in heaven. Oh, yeah. Not like, not like a mom, though. Not Lots like a mom, okra. though. Lots of okra, yeah. Gotta be quiet. Number one, though. Number one all time. More emotional. Christmas shoe. More emotional. Simba and Bubba. Joe Burrow. Can't, uh, uh, can't say no. Can't say no. Coach, you want to... Go over there and get that box of Kleenex. Stop throwing it at cars when they drive by my house. <laughs> um, very emotional man. Very emotional man. See you, coach. Hey, have a good day. Uh, that was a pretty good list, first off. That was, 
it was pretty it was pretty awesome to see him not overcome with emotion. I was wondering if we're gonna see Coach O cry. I think that that's Coach O crying. I think that's yeah. that's what it is. <sighs> yeah, it's it's just a loud grunt, and and people are, will look at him like, are you, are you crying? He's like, yeah. Can't you see? I'm, I got tears pouring out of my eyes right now. Like, no, those are just veins in your no. cheek. You flipped over a pool table and then stormed <laughs> out and went and yelled into the woods. Uh, no, I, I, it was like it really was cool though. It, I hate I hate like social media just and again I'm I'm more biased towards this attitude or this this like theory because I, I hear about it all the time. I just have to see it all the time. We're just such a nation of haters about stuff, and we have to like crap on stuff as soon as something happens. And and I think that's been lessened with this story because people it's new and, and it's been such an awesome story. It's like like you said. This year, like I tried to say last year, America's team. It's been awesome. But it is, like, the, the people that are still saying that Joe Burrow and this is Joe Brady did this or his receivers did this, like, Coach O went out and got both those guys. It was Coach O's idea to go into Columbus, Ohio, have this recruiting visit with, with this guy that we didn't know was going to be this great. Like, there were some people that thought he was, I thought it was outlandish that he was going to be ahead of Jared Garantano. In terms of quarterbacks in the SEC, oh, how yeah. dumb was that? Um, it was—I mean, it was just an incredible season, man. An incredible season to see where he was. And people, I think, honestly, people forget that he was there last year, like because <laughs> the season was so—I don't say mundane, but like, I mean, less than what it was this year. It's just a different identity with that team, and I think his role—his role was different, and he knew his role was different. And this year, obviously, it's—it's it's just completely night and day. It, to think about not voting for Joe Burrow to win the Heisman seems ridiculous. Let's at this talk point. about that. But there were still some people who did. Now there are people who just didn't fill out a ballot, and that kind of skews some of these numbers. And the way that the Heisman totals it up, sometimes that's vote? not taken into account. I don't. I don't know why people don't vote if they have a vote. It's because they give out too many Heisman votes, and people just don't take it that seriously. But whatever. That's neither here nor there. Imagine being one of the people who didn't. Put Burrow first. There were 50 people who didn't put him first. 4.5%, which is apparently roughly like 39 voters, I think, uh, didn't have Burrow on their ballots. So if there's absentee ballots or whatever you called it, I don't know the right word for it, but like... Hanging chads? Yeah. If if those, if those all 39 of those people... Didn't just just didn't fill out a ballot. That's the only excuse that you could you could give. Because what I was more offended by than anything was, like th- this as this whole thing unfolded. They're like, all right, let's see like how it, how it ended up. And Jalen Hurts finished second. I was pretty I was pretty excited for him on that. I was like, surprised. It didn't matter because yeah, yeah. it was such a huge. I mean, like eight forty one to twelve. That is <laughs> that is like. That's and nice. I totally understand the Chase Young votes. And there's like 20, 20 people you got voted 20 for him. First place votes. Yeah. I, and I thought that was fine. The three people that voted Joe Burrow third. So you're saying that there are two people ahead of him. I'm like, because because that that is like, yeah, I want to see the ballots. I want to see those ballots because what, what like pisses me off more than anything. And one person voted two and number one, which is something. I just that's just something. Like that kid will go down if he goes pro now as like maybe one of the better players to never win one. Fine, he did not deserve to win the Heisman. That yeah. that, that is out. That is outlandish. But like. The fact that there were three people that voted him third, which means there were two people ahead of him. I just, I, I, I really have a hard time. Like, it, it pisses me off when, I, I said this to my mom, and I'll say it to you guys, and I don't care how it sounds. She was like, well, why don't you have a Heisman vote? And I was like, I think I'll, I can get a Heisman vote at some point. Eventually. It doesn't seem that hard. I mean, it really, it's not like, that hard. like, No, Ryan Rasool used to say that they just hand him out at ESPN. Uh, yeah, and, and like, and that part is really frustrating because there's so many people that don't take this seriously. And did you watch the College Football 150 special on this on Friday? 
about like the top. I, did, I didn't see the one on Friday. I've seen a lot of those episodes though. They're very good. So yeah, and, and, and like they have like the whole like debate, and they were talking about like the biggest debates, like the top eleven debates I think in Heisman history. But it's the same thing with the AP voters that that like pisses me off, and the same thing we talk about with the committee. If you're not going to take it seriously, Just like it, like it, yeah. tell me tell me that you you didn't care or that you didn't want to fill it out because you you didn't watch as many games or, or like or just that you couldn't decide fine don't tell me that you did this and did your research and did your job quote unquote and then come up with this to the people who did not have burrow in one of their first two slots you've got an open invitation to come on the podcast and whenever you want to explain it and be wrong i mean that's fine like you're you're entitled to your opinion but your opinion can be wrong let's yeah. I mean, let's let's I've done let's that several words. times there's just there's absolutely nothing that you could say in terms of, and with all due respect, what Jalen Hurts and what Justin Fields have done this year, really, really good. There is no argument and whatsoever. Chase yeah, I mean, if you want to say, like, okay, Chase Young was the most dominant player in college football, whatever, that's fine. If your justification is the same that's used at the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I'm somebody who I spent a summer there, I love the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know I apologize for it, but I don't apologize for the voting. If you're somebody that's saying, well, Burrow didn't deserve to be the most... Um, the most lopsided Heisman winner ever. Therefore, I need to vote for Chase Young. That's dumb. That is right. so so dumb. Get rid of your vote if that's if that's how you think of it, because that's the most elitist attitude in the world. And if you think that that you need to like some sort of like play some sort of god in terms of college football Heisman voting, like that's just ridiculous. And you should just be stricken from all voting for I, the rest of time. I mean, I totally get like it's it, it, first off. Hats off to Ohio State. That's not something we say a lot on here, that I say a lot on here. Hats off to Ohio State. You had the, the, the first time ever you had an offensive and defensive player from the same team as finalists. And, and again, and if they make it to the national championship game, they beat Clemson and get, and get to the national championship, Justin Fields' numbers this year will most likely be better than, than Kyler Murray's were a year ago. And that's really impressive. I mean, yeah. 40 touchdowns and one interception is really, really impressive. It's, a, it's an incredible year. What I don't understand here is how did he have more second-place votes than Chase Young? Who is yeah, sitting here watching Chase? You know, it's just the whole thing well, is think, really frustrating. And I, I think I didn't... people said if if he, you know, Chase Young because he was suspended for two games. Some people, it was Use either that first place. Him? Yeah, yeah. They either didn't put him on the ballot at all, or they're like, no, he deserves first place love. So that that could explain part. of He that. had three players in the top six. Yeah, which is that's pretty I, impressive. That's crazy. That's that's nuts. That does not happen very often. That's extremely rare. This is a reminder, though, of why you never vote on the Heisman favorites in the preseason. Just don't yeah. do it. With all due respect to Trevor Lawrence and Tua, who both actually, if you look back, had really good seasons. They still had really good seasons. Trevor Lawrence finished in 7th with 88 points, and Tua finished in 10th with 24. Now, obviously, Tua getting hurt was, was certainly part of that. If he had stayed healthy, different conversation. But still, it just is a little bit of a reminder of Vegas knows what it's doing. Vegas knows how to take your money. Think about this. Remember when we talked about after the Texas game, how we said even then when Burrow's odds dropped to, I think, 5-1. to one, From 200. We said, this isn't a good bet anymore. It's not. Right. And that's the crazy thing is they were so on top of this after week two to be able to say, you know what? We can't have people getting 10-1, to 15-1 odds on this and, and us getting taken to the cleaners. Vegas Vegas was, was out ahead of this, and they know the Heisman very, very well. That's why they took it off the books even before conference championship weekend. I think they even, some were even taking it off the books before the regular season finales. I mean, that's how lopsided. Well, we thought it wasn't was. a good bet because we didn't think it was going to, it wasn't going to stay the course. Like, I mean, like that's, the way right. he, like from, from his start to how they finished, it never stopped. Like it just never, it never stopped. And it, it only got more, like, I don't, it honestly got more impressive. 
we love the unpredictable in this sport. We really do. And, and Joe Burrow was, you know, I, I often say this is a narrative-driven award, but this is this was not a narrative. This was just Joe Burrow being the best player in college football yeah. all, all year. The, and that's the, the people that finished 2 through 10, that was the narrative. Right. The, yeah. the two people that voted for, for J.K. Dobbins at number one and the three that voted for Trevor Lawrence number one, just Don't get like out that. of here. Yeah. Um, first grad transfer to ever win the Heisman Trophy. Um, pretty, pretty amazing to think about that. I saw, by the way, um, this probably a little under the radar thing, but I, I, I kind of love that this happened. Uh, David Ubin, who does great work covering Tennessee for The Athletic, put Lynn Bowden at number three on his ballot. That's pretty cool. When you consider, yeah, I mean, if you, because I, I think he had Burrow one, Chase Young two. And if you think about, all right, I could probably have Jalen Hurts here. I could probably have Justin Fields here. But if I'm thinking about most valuable players in college football, I'm not saying I would have necessarily put Lynn Bowden there, but I like that he was at least thought upon. Of yeah. That's that's the kind of conversation, that's the kind of year that this kid had, and that's pretty special. That, those are the little things that, th- those aren't going to make headlines necessarily, but that's that to me is kind of the, the interesting thing of what Heisman voting can truly reveal. And it didn't, it didn't cost anybody. Yeah, it didn't cost anybody. Yeah. It's just a nice little tip of the cap. Hey, you know, you've you've earned our respect nationally for what you've been able to do this year. Of course, because this is college football, we already Man. are looking to the future. CBS Sportsline has odds for 2020. Heisman Trophy odds already, and they're great. You're gonna love this. I want to run through these real quick and get get some of your takes on this. Best odds: Justin Fields at five to two. Not surprising. Trevor Lawrence right behind him at three to one. Easy slam dunk. This is where it gets a little bit crazy. Hi, Mac Jones is is third on this list at seven to one. Who's behind him? You ask. Oh, a certain Bo Nix is number four in the preseason. Way too early. Three hundred sixty four days out. Heisman odds. Bo Nix. You can get those Heisman odds at eight to one. Is there a way to bet that he won't win it? Or like, what are what are those odds? The field. Good God. Uh, Kedon Slovis, USC quarterback, at 10 to 1. Your guy, the slippery, Jalen Waddell at 12 to 1. Jamar Chase at 15 to 1. Zamir White at 20 to 1. Uh, Spencer Sanders, Oklahoma State quarterback, is at 25 to 1. Those are the odds that have come out. Before we talk about a couple of potential off the radar guys here, what, what, I, I know, because I know it's, it's not necessarily 1 2 Fields and Lawrence. I think that's, Everybody's going to be talking about this offseason. Do not put your money on Fields and Trevor Lawrence if I recommend you doing one thing. It makes no sense to do that. What stood out to you in that, in that group outside of them? I I hate to say it, but Bo Nix at 8-1 to one is out. That's ridiculous. Auburn like, fans that's know just, it's ridiculous. They don't need that to... 8-1? Yeah. Like, I don't know what he... I, he was... A, I know he's going to be a sophomore next year. And like, I think he'll get He was a liability. Too. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be better, and they'll, they'll, maybe they'll do more stuff with Chad Morris. And Vegas is usually pretty smart. But this this bet, more than anything, this has nothing to do with Vegas knowing what they're talking about. This has everything to do with, like, right. Vegas knows how to get your money early. I mean, yes. I just, I am shocked that he is fourth. And and I'll, I'll be honest with you, we got to stop romanticizing early, because we've said this in, like, the offseason, like, Najee or um, DeAndre Swift or, like, you know, running backs like that. If Chase Young isn't going to win the Heisman like in the season that he had, or, or if he's going to finish fourth. If Jonathan right? Taylor's not going to get invited with the season that he had. Right. Like I think stay away from Bama running backs, stay away from Georgia running backs. Like, like I love Trey Sanders and like the upside of yeah. that, but I would say stay away from those, those picks just because of the fact that like, like in the same way you can't pick Jake Fromm, 
because I don't think that he's going to have enough numbers because they're going to run the football. But also, it's it's not it's going to be at least a two back system at at Georgia. So I, I just I yeah that was that was easily the, like the biggest surprise though. Bo Nix. Yeah. yeah, that's uh that raised some eyebrows. That much I know. A couple of off the radar guys that I like, and I know we just said, I know we just said, let's not focus on running backs or whatever. But I think this would be a little bit different at this place. I think he's just going to have one of these incredible years if he stays healthy. I talked this guy up a lot. Noah Kane, the Penn State running back. I, I love watching this guy play. I've, I've been hyping this guy up since he was a senior at IMG. I think he's going to have a really, really big year um, in that offense next year if he's able to get the bulk of the carries, which he absolutely deserves. Penn State fans know this. How about this? And I'm not saying I, – I, I throw this in there because I think – as we talk about Joe Burrow, he's somebody that obviously wasn't on anybody's Heisman radar at this time last year. We thought we knew what Joe Burrow's ceiling was. I'm not saying that this guy is definitely going to have this type of year, but he's playing for a top 10 team. He's going to be coming back. He's going to have a ton of weapons to work with, I think, still. He's going to have a returning offensive line that's going to be good. What about Kyle Trask? What, yeah. about, what about him in that conversation? You have to start with quarterbacks. You, you absolutely to. do. And there's there's going to be so much hype surrounding Florida next year where I know a lot of their fans have already even said they might be a top five preseason team next year. He could follow and, that narrative if they beat yeah. Georgia. Yeah. He had a good year. I mean, like he had a good year. And I think, I think you know, yeah, if they beat Georgia, th- there will be, in the SEC especially, there will be enough big games, unless you're Bama this year, where if you win, you can submit your at least like your argument. For yep. the Heisman, I'll tell you one that I am kind of shocked is not on here. John Rice Plumley. I was thinking that in the back of my mind and wondering. Well, I you should have said it because I did. I, um, with Kiffin's offense too, yeah. I mean, that's and the other one that on here that I would have is Kellen Mond because I think I think A and M next year is. I know what happened this year. I totally get that. I think A and M will be a a, I don't even know if it's a dark horse, but I think they will contend for an SEC and possibly national championship next year. The one thing I didn't want to, the one thing that, that held me back from saying that exactly what you just said was waiting to see what the receivers do. If their receivers yeah. are going to the next level, yeah. very talented. Uh, most of most of them are Mons class as well, so they would have that option. Kind of want to see how that plays out before we kind of throw them into that conversation. Um, we'll see. And, and then also, how about Spencer Radler, the former five-star That's a great recruit pick. at Oklahoma, who's the true freshman there right now, um, going to be taking over that job unless they go after a grad transfer quarterback again. But I don't know. I think that Lincoln Riley is going to kind of want to see what he has with him. That could He, he could easily follow the, the Heisman narrative, surprised that he wasn't at least included in some of the early odds here. But... We're gonna have plenty of time to talk about the 2020 Heisman. Don't need to get too caught up in that right now. If yeah, if you wanna if you wanna bet real quick on Bo Nix, let like personally DM me <laughs> the amount you want to bet on Bo Nix, and instead of doing that, send it to me. Yep. So I can buy Christmas presents because it's a better investment of your money. This is true. This is true. We have players that are sitting bowl games. But more notable players, I think, that are playing in bowl games from the early announcements that we've had. So we're recording this at 12 o'clock um, noon Sunday. So a lot of this stuff, if there's you know big announcements, especially with Alabama players, I feel like those are going to come um, a lot early in the week here as we get closer and closer to these bowl games. As of right now, the two most notable SEC players that we know are definitely sitting out bowl games. C.J. Henderson, the stud co- cornerback at Florida, and then Justin Matabike is, is going to be sitting out the Texas A&M defensive lineman who I think is going to have first-round potential 
Um, but we know that he is not going to be playing in the bowl game. The guys who are playing in the bowl game, I'm going to give you some love at the end of this. Don't worry. Kylan Hill, big announcement that he's leaving school, but he is playing in the bowl game. J.R. Reed, the Georgia safety, not surprising considering he stayed at school. He's been in Athens for the last 15 years. I know he transferred there, but it feels like he's been there the last 15 years. Wait, who, J.R. Reed? J.R. Reed, yeah, J.R. Reed. Uh, real quick, I want to say something on this, and I love what he said. Absolutely love what he said, especially following the heels of what happened last year. I J.R. Reed is a guy, and I'll say this, I did not give him enough credit of, of how good of a player he was and how how tough of a player I think he was and how much he meant to that team. Because his comment about like the dogs are playing in the Sugar Bowl and I'm still a dog, I love that. I absolutely I love too. that, man. Way, way to have some pride. That's that's fantastic. And I think Georgia fans, there were there were some who were maybe in the back of their mind like, ah, DeAndre Baker was out for this game last year. Hopefully J.R. Reed plays. J.R. Reed is going to be there for this game. Um, we also know Lynn Bowden is going to be playing. We know that he's leaving school early. As I said, one last chance to get to see Lynn Bowden. Excited about the potential there. Derek Brown had a great announcement that he's he's playing in this bowl game. Not surprising necessarily for a senior, somebody who came back to school and has just meant so much. And it was cool to kind of see him get a little bit of the Heisman love yeah. as well. Um, very very deserving of that. And then the one that the, the the one that surprised me the most so far, and you you are right about this so far. And if you are if this proves to be true, and if you make me eat my words on this, I'll I'll continue to give you love. Jerry Judy is. Playing in the Citrus Bowl, very, very interesting because the way that he finished the season, you said it multiple times, just didn't quite look right. So maybe he's thinking, I need to have that one like just dominant game, or he's thinking in the back of his mind, Don Brown, single high safety, I have a chance to get 250 receiving yards against yeah. Michigan, why wouldn't I do it? Well, and I think also with Judy, like Judy's going pro. There's no reason for Judy, maybe more so than anyone else on that team, there's no, there's no reason to stay another year because he's already proven enough. He doesn't need to come back like, you know, he doesn't need to come back and fight for catches. Rumors this year, that, I do, real, sorry, not to, sorry for interrupting. Rumors that Devontae Smith is returning to Bama have already been floated out there as well. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Is, my, okay, sorry, my bad. I interrupted. Um, Go ahead. But the Judy thing... They. Are, this is going to be one of the more exciting storylines, I think, to follow in the offseason. Because a lot of this stuff, I think, I, I don't, like, I texted to you and you rained on my, I said you'd rain on my parade. And you're like, I don't yep. want to see you get your hopes up. And it's too late because I'm, I'm going to do it. I think all band <laughs> fans probably, probably will. But this is that time of year, too, where it's like, like, usually you have guys where, like, yeah, go. Just go. And I don't think there's a lot of coaches in the SEC. And I know Saban's not like this, despite what people will probably say on social media. He's not going to ask a first rounder to stay. Like if you can, if you're going to make your money, go make your money. You know yeah. what I mean? Like Xavier Xavier uh, McKinney, Jerry Judy, I think Jedrick Willis probably. Like I think all those guys will probably go. Yep. And that's great. There is there's a lot of rumblings that there are some other players that that we all just kind of thought. And I've bitched about it on here where I'm like the dynasty's going to be over and we're going to lose all these people. It's not like it was in the past. Like they're going to get gutted. There's a few key guys that that might stay and might return. And the Devonta Smith thing, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. And you guys, and here's the thing too: the guaranteed money that comes from a first round pick, or like just what, what's what's what I'm looking for here, Connor? Like the, the way slots that they have the, the rookie yeah, the way scale. they have like the slots, like like in the, the pay scale for for where you're picked in the in the first round of the NFL draft, it varies a lot. And there's been a couple people that have broken it down about, especially with Tua. There are. There are several reasons why it makes sense for him to possibly come back. 
Well, they, yeah, and he threw it out there. He said, look, if it, if, if it means me being outside of the top 15, then that's something that I'm going to have to seriously consider. And I, I think right now, if you're, if you're Tua, you're getting every piece of information possible about this process and about what teams think of you, trying to get you know the feelers out there. Obviously, there's only so much you can do if you haven't declared for the NFL draft and if you haven't hired an agent. But Tua's going to get his information. I mean, let, let's call it what yeah. it is. That's, he's not going to be making this decision without an informed opinion. If we get a Tua decision that he's coming back, that's emergency pod worthy, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. I, and I, I do think, and I know people think this is crazy. I said this I said this on Chris Gordy's show on Friday. He's like, next year, who's the quarterback at Bama? Is it is it Talia Tungabailoa? Is it is it Mac Jones? And I flat out said I think it's Tua. And, and the reason why is this, like, if he, if he can come back and then on top of coming back still get an insurance policy, which I don't think is out of the question for between 5 to $10 million, if that happens, it makes a lot of sense. Like, there have been several NFL scouts and people that are close to those situations that said, like, there's not a team that has is, that is said they would take him in the first round. And I understand the smoke and mirror stuff that happens closer to the draft. This isn't that. And if, if you're saying you wouldn't take him in, in like at all, and also here's the thing too, guys, I'm I'm one of them that that has said a lot of stuff about how I thought he was soft a year and a half ago. Um, I will walk that back a little bit now, like understanding how how much pain he had to play through this year. But that's a kid with, you said it, like he had nowhere to go. We've already said goodbye to him, like on the pod. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, oh, like yeah. like. Legacies that, in the books, yeah. All yeah, he had nowhere to go but down. It is his. It's it's a kid who's who's passer rating or efficiency rating, whatever it is, two hundred six point four or two hundred six point nine this season is the highest ever in a single season in college football history. Like the numbers he's put up is ridiculous, but he still has this kind of like you know negative cloud or perception of him from a lot of people because he didn't come up in big games or against big defenses. He he lost the you know got destroyed by Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. Lost to Joe Burrow this year. He has a chance to, to, this sounds crazy, but like kind of change and, and turn around like the legacy he could leave now that that if he come came back, it would be even better. I'm just, the Bama hype train, if that were to happen this offseason, would just be running. It would be rolling. Everybody would have to walk back a lot of those Dynasty's Dead comments if that happens. We'll, we'll wait and see. A lot of stuff is, be one of them. is left to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would I would too in terms of, you know, what we've said about Tua and, and why the incentive to come back just isn't there despite what fans would want to say. Just one real quick thing on fans sitting, uh, fans and, and like how they feel about players sitting out bowl games and stuff because it's going to be debated, especially as we hear more and more about certain players that are playing, certain players that aren't. It's okay to both at the same time understand why a player is sitting out with being frustrated that a player is sitting out and he's not going to be able to play for yeah. your respective team. Those are two things that I think you're allowed to think as a fan, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. You want to see your team at full strength, but don't, at the same time, don't pretend like, oh, well, this kid should have thought this way, this way. Everybody knows that by well, now, so just keep that in mind. And I, I do think for a lot of us fans, it is, whether you want to admit it or not, and this isn't trying to like attack anybody or, or call anybody out, like I don't want people to be sensitive to what I'm about to say, but it's more so than a selfish reason for us than it is for like, actually thinking through the situation for that kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff and pride that goes into it. And, and, and I totally get that. And you want them to like, they're, they're there, they get the free education or whatever you want to say. Like they, they, they played like, like play your last game. But for a lot of that, it's just because we want to see them. We want to see our team win and we want to see, you know, them play one more time and like not have a crappy bowl game. It, but I, I will say, I'll, we'll, we'll move on with this. 
I remember one time playing in this like miserable, like 31 degrees, like like mist rain in like Valdosta, Georgia, right? Just like every SEC football player in these bowl games. Yep. It's the exact same. No, I'm kidding. But it was like this awful, awful game. We were up like 23 to 2 on this this awful team from Florida, like Eckerd College. And I remember coach looking down the bench and he's like, all right, he's going to put the scrubs in, which I was one of the scrubs. And he looked at my best friend, Jeff Colby, and he goes, Colby, grab a bat. And he just leaned down and he's like, all bundled up. He goes, uh, save me an 0 for 1, coach. And then I got to go in and hit, and it was awful. But, like, a lot of this has to do with, like, there's no reason to make, to end on a bad note. A lot of these kids have had great careers. There's no reason to end on a bad note. You know what I mean? They, they love the university and the opportunity they had, but do what's best for them. Understood. Early signing period also here. Very, very rapidly approaching. That's going to be Wednesday. We're going to have a ton of coverage on SDS for that. You should definitely be following along. And we're going to have a, a full recap of the, the first day of the early signing period on Wednesday when we record on Wednesday afternoon. But wanted to kind of talk about some of the storylines that are already out there. This was interesting. Um, this kind of made some, some national headlines. So forced offensive tackle Javion um, Cohen committed to Alabama. He had planned on committing on Wednesday, but apparently he took multiple Alabama visits while he was committed to Auburn. And then Auburn actually pulled the offer and basically they had feared that he was going to commit to Alabama. A little bit of a, of a rough look for, for Auburn in terms of perception. A lot of people are saying, well, who really cares if he's going to commit to Bama anyways? That's fine. But I always kind of tend to think that any negative headline about you and about your program this close to signing day is usually not ideal. I, I don't know. Call, call me crazy for this, but maybe not the look that Gus was hoping to go for right now. Because once it gets out there, it's hard to really walk that back and you can't really speak on yeah. that exact issue until, you know, obviously signing day has passed. So that's kind of a just a tough look for Auburn. Weird storyline to see that. I unfold. disagree. I disagree. I think like with I don't know not all with Gus, but there's been so many of those late late flips or guys that were from Auburn and ended up going or like heavy leans to Auburn. Like the Cyrus Conjure thing, he announced on national television he was going to Auburn, and then like the next day went to Bama. We talked about with with Coach Chiswick about the Reuben Foster thing. He had an Auburn tattoo on his forearm. So I think part of it is like not trying to save face or or you know like, tired of being like pushed around with these flips right around signing day. But I mean, you know what, Gus? In this case, I'm I'm here for what he did on this. Like, beat your chest. You just beat Alabama, right? Mm -hmm. you, like, you, you're ranked ahead of him right now. Like, you you have a lot of momentum from what happened in that game in November. You know, and the refs are in your back pocket and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kidding. But like, I think I think in this situation specifically, like, I don't I don't mind what he did. So there are, there are certain very very few schools left in the power five that'll do this but i know iowa is one of them and iowa's gotten a lot of flack from from their fans it's been a, a kirk ferentz policy that has long since frustrated plenty of plenty of iowa fans where they don't allow recruits to take unofficial visits if they're verbally committed to iowa like iowa people forget Eno Benjamin was committed to Iowa for a long time, who went on to do really, really good things at Arizona State, and has been, you know, a key for Herm Edwards the last couple of years. But he was committed to Iowa, and he wanted to take a couple other visits. And then Francis was like, "Nope, if you're going to do that, then bye bye." So right. it's weird to see the way that it comes out with certain schools. It's almost like if you have it, if you just have that policy in place, you're fine. But Auburn is not in a position where it can universally have that. It just isn't. There's too much competition in the SEC. 
yeah. it'd be surprising if that were the case for everybody else. But interested to always see kind of those last minute shuffles because we always hear about these stories. I remember at Michigan there was an offensive lineman a few years back about you know talking about how Harbaugh pulled his offer at the last second. All of a sudden, you know, he was out of a of a scholarship a week before signing day. He didn't have the options. It's not like he was going right. on official <clears throat> visits to BAM or something. So interested to kind of see the way that that Recruiting's tough, out. man. Recruiting is very, very tough, and you know this. And, and, and the the constant shuffling with with the coaching changes and stuff like that is a big part of this as well. We saw that Joshua Braun, four star offensive lineman, commits to Florida. That was following uh, he was that was following the the news that Sam Pittman was leaving Georgia and going to Arkansas. Braun, a former Georgia commit who took a step back and said, "Yeah, if you don't have Sam Pittman, a little bit of a different story." But for Florida, this is very, very good news because Florida now, we've talked about this a lot and with Dan Mullen and recruiting in the Sunshine State about how big of a struggle it has been in the early process to be able to establish those connections. 16 of his 23 commits are from the state of Florida, including 11 four-stars. And I had the stat thrown out there um, before his first class about how Dan Mullen had not, when he was at Mississippi State, he had signed one recruit of four or five stars from the state of Florida. While he was at Mississippi State, that was Cord Sandberg. Things have obviously changed. If I'm a Florida fan, sitting there at number six in the country right now, am I, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like Mullen has established the culture. And if you're able to flip guys like this at the last second, all the more power to you. No, I agree. And I think the biggest thing is, and, and I wish I, I had it in front of me. We can talk about it more uh, when we talk with Michael Wayne Bratton. Um but the thing with Mullen, too, is is recruiting has always been kind of, I don't want to say the issue with him, just because like where he was at Mississippi State. That's that's one thing I've always hung on to with where I, I wonder how good of a job he could do at Florida. Because if you're in Florida, it'll recruit itself. The amount of four- and five-star kids they have. Last year, it was kind of a concern because he didn't sign anybody, I think, in the top ten, or maybe he was only one player in the top ten, like in the state of Florida. For a while, yeah. Yeah, and, and so in this... I understand how they got him, and I, I'm sure this will become one of those things where Georgia fans look at it and like, well, you know, we didn't need him anyway. And they, they, they're they always going to have a great, well, I don't know about with Pittman gone, but they, they're going to have a great offensive line class. Tate Rutledge, Rutledge is fantastic. Um, the fact that this kid, who's like the 22nd ranked offensive tackle in the country, still a high four-star, is going to Florida, I think that's a big deal. And, and you talk about a, a specific need on your team, like for Florida, after, after how this year went, I think it's yep. a big get. And he's huge, man. He's a monster. Large individual. The rankings, as of right now, like I said, oh, man, we're recording this, is dangerous. this noon. We're recording this at noon on Sunday. So obviously these are subjects to change, but this is all we know as of right now. The national rankings. Bama is at number two. LSU is at number three. Bama and LSU, Ohio State and Clemson are all kind of fighting for that number one spot, jockeying, kind of gonna depend on what happens on Wednesday. Yeah, number we were number one last night. Yeah, and then, and then that changed. When I updated that, I, I needed to make sure right before we started recording that I had these rankings at, to the minute as close as possible. A&M sitting there at number five. Florida, as we said, number six. Georgia's at number eight, but Georgia only has 14 commits, and they have the highest average player ranking as of right now. So that's a little bit of a context that's needed to be provided. I don't know if this is still in play, but I will say like our buddy Pat Brown, uh, who is a big guy on Twitter, a big, big Georgia guy, um, keeps up with all of this. I, he tweeted like no more than like a week or two ago. And I, I don't know if this is still in play, but Georgia has like, they can take a max of like 23 players. I think this yep. class or they're going to only take a max 23. And they still up to at least a couple weeks ago had a chance of having the best recruiting class. I think 
like yeah. ratings wise of all time. Possibly, we'll see what happens. But. I think there's like three kids in the top twenty or something like that who could be committing to Georgia in the next couple of days, and right. we'll obviously change that number eight ranking. Number nine, Auburn. Number eighteen, South Carolina. Number nineteen, Tennessee. Number twenty-one, Michigan State. Number twenty-five, no, Kentucky. Mississippi State. Mississippi State. I knew I was going to do that. I knew I was going to do that when I don't because you've changed. When I, when I when I write about I write about Big Ten stuff. I write about SEC stuff. When I just put in MSU because I've been saying it for so long. Sometimes just natural slip. Mississippi State. My bad. Number twenty-five, Kentucky. Interesting. Very, Very interesting. interesting to see Mark Stoops recruiting that well. Number forty-five, Ole Miss. Number 57, Mizzou. Number 71, Vandy. And down all the way at number 117 is Arkansas. The trend there is pretty obvious. And Vandy is kind of its own deal here. But the highest... So you have the three SEC teams that are dealing with coaching changes right now. Ole Miss, Mizzou, Arkansas. None of which are in the top 40. The highest rated class for a team who made an outside coaching switch. That if you just hire, you know, like Washington made the internal hire. So I'm excluding them from this because that changes recruiting in the way that you look at it. The highest rated class for a team that made an outside coaching switch is number 26, Florida State. There is nobody else in the top 40. That is one of the downfalls of this early signing period in the quick turnaround that's associated with getting a new coach in there to be able to recruit and try and salvage a class. As we're seeing, it is not an easy thing to do. No, it's not at all. And uh, I tell you what, the 117, like that is concerning. Six commits as of right now, which that'll change. Sam Pittman's going to do work. You, you, you feel good if you're an Arkansas fan knowing his background, but at the same time, Eesh, that is not a program that you want to take a, a, a massive step back and have something like, oh, 12 kids committed. I don't think that'll happen. But No, I don't think it will either. And I, I wish I still had this from, from last year, and I, I'm trying to go these Google Doc real quick, but we'll figure it out later, was I know last year we did this. It was one of the things that blew me away was I think all 14 teams finished in the top like 55 in the country. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to, to not finish super high with Arkansas, but like, one, like that is, I mean, to, to finish 117, which they won't finish 117. They won't. They'll, that they'll is, rise. That's concerning. Yeah, that is uh, that is just kind of the nature of the beast right now. And that's what happens when you make a, a coaching hire where you're, you're, you're trying to do different things from an offensive standpoint. Very different vision, different identity with those two coaches as well. So let's kick it to our experts, our resident expert at SDS, our top recruiting guy, he is on top of all things recruiting. If you are looking for a great follow this week, Michael Bratton, SEC Mike on Twitter, very, very good. He's going to drop some knowledge for us. So let's kick it to our interview with Michael Bratton. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is SDS's own Michael Bratton. Michael is totally locked in on all things recruiting. He leads our news team as well. Uh, Michael, before we get to some early signing period stuff, I've got a very, very important question to ask. What are the origins of Appy State? <laughs> Those Appies, man, they'll get on you. Don't call them that. It's uh, apparently, here, here's the true story, and I've tried to explain this to them, but it has not calmed them down one bit. When, during the season, the SEC announces the television schedules every Monday. They do it, you know, two weeks in advance. And all I did, you cannot type Appalachian State among the other SEC teams and hope it hope to narrow that down to 140 characters, what have you. So I just simplified it to Appy State 
That's how I always uh, heard it was called. That, it was not intended to be a slight. And my DMs started getting blowed up from Boone, North Carolina. And I made a vow <laughs> that day to never call them anything but App- Appy State. So uh, thanks for any time I, I see a, an opportunity to troll, I'm just going to I'm gonna go down with the ship. That's, that's what they are for the rest of my life. I mean, you want to fight fire with Appy State. That's if there's anything I've learned. It's good. It's good stuff. All right, let's let's get into like the stuff that you know um, so much about. And I don't know how you manage to keep up with all these things in the middle of the season because it's very difficult. But um, hats off to you. Recruiting. We'll just get right down to it. Jordan Birch's recruitment. Massive storyline. I know he was like the number one player in the country at one point. Maybe he's in his top five now. Uh, kid out of Hammond High School. My old stomping grounds. So... I, I don't want to say sources, but the people that I've talked to said they don't know where this kid's going to go. He just, they don't know if he knows where he's going to go. Just some of the coaches at, at, at Hammond, they said it's going to be a last-minute thing. Where What are you hearing? Where do you think he ends up? Like, How does this play out? You know who his high school quarterback is, don't you? Yeah, it's Muschamp's son. I, I, you were sitting there, I was going to embarrass myself on that one. <laughs> exactly. There you go. So you got to start with the Gamecocks. I know... Obviously, you look at some of these finalists here, Georgia, Clemson, LSU, and some, some think Alabama's hanging in the weeds there. But I, from everything I've heard, the family is incredibly close to Will Muschamp. Obviously, all that speculation at the end of the season, that may you know, catch back up with the Gamecocks, but I, I do not rule out the Gamecocks here. A lot of people from Columbia have been telling me they feel good about their shot with Jordan Birch. I know Kirby Smart, I believe, spent a whole day with this kid last week during the uh, contact period, and so did Dabo. And uh, he made his decision to spend the weekend, final weekend here, leading up to the early signing period in Athens. So you got to think that's a great time for Georgia, bad time for Clemson. But, like I said, don't rule out South Carolina. Don't rule out LSU. That's the dark horse here. They've been making some room here lately, and one of the key targets they're making room for, Jordan Birch. I mean, how can you not be impressed? Joe Heisman, everything. They're sweeping the college football awards. They're probably going to win the national championship, in my opinion. Don't be – it's not not going to be a stunner to me if Jordan Birch this weekend picks LSU. So I think, you know, one of the teams that you brought up there, Georgia, you look at it on the surface, and if you just took a quick glance at it, you'd say, oh, Georgia's kind of falling back a little bit. Maybe they're not going to recruit at this elite level. But actually, you dig a little bit closer and you realize, oh, their highest average recruiting ranking is the highest of anybody in the country right now. They could finish with three more five stars. I mean, they are poised to have a very, very big finish. I know the loss of Sam Pittman didn't necessarily help, but how high do you think this class could jump? Could they jump all the way to number one? I guess you haven't heard the news, Connor. Georgia, they're done. They're buried. They're dead. Winning 11 games a year, panic there in Athens, time to fire Kirby, fire everybody. God, I love you, Michael. That's what I'm seeing online. I don't, I'm kind of right there with you. Now, there's been some big hiccups. I think the, I think the biggest, I don't know if you want to call it a mistake. It's obviously not a mistake, but uh, going to the national championship game year two set that bar so high for old Kirby. The expectations, national championship or bust, it's pretty incredible considering they never win. I don't, they've not won a national championship in our lifetime. I don't know how that's the standard, but, yeah, I don't know. That's a long-winded way to say they got a lot of talent, but 
I don't know. There's going to be some interesting question marks there. I don't, I don't think Matt Luke, I got nothing against the guy. I think he's a very solid coach, but they turn around and hired him, obviously, to save this recruiting class, I think, on the offensive line. And they've already lost one of the kids. They lost them to Florida. Uh, Tate Ratledge, who he said he shut down his commitment. We'll see. He's not expected to enroll early, so does he sign early? That's going to be a huge storyline this weekend. And then Interesting. how about this news? The highest-rated offensive lineman that Georgia's got committed, a kid by the name of Broderick Jones, spent this weekend in Auburn. I'm hearing there's a good chance he flips to Auburn, which would be another devastating blow. So you bring in Matt Luke to replace Sam Pittman. You give him Sam Pittman money. I think they're trying to say, hey, this guy's just as good as Sam Pittman. I'm, I'm here to tell you that's not the case. Like I said, he's Woo! not – but I'm not trying to trash him. He's not a terrible coach, but I wouldn't even put him in the top ten of offensive line coaches in the nation. So why are you going to pay him almost a million dollars? I think it's you're just trying to, you know, put put a face on it that you're not taking a step down when you really are. So I don't know. And that even gets to the point of there's been I've not heard this, but I've, I've read there's plenty of speculation. Kirby Smart went after Mike Bobo, couldn't get him. So. What are you saying here when you, you rush an offensive line hire? Your offensive coordinator, might, may, he may not even be there next year. Does Matt Luke even fit with what you're trying to do? I don't know. Kirby Smart's got some big answer, big questions to answer this offseason, and it starts with this re- recruiting class, particularly on the offensive line. I'm not I'm not sold on what the Bulldogs have been doing the last couple of weeks. Interesting. just want to let everyone know and reiterate this. These are all Michael's words. It's not mine. <laughs> Um, I mean, it, yeah, you cut into the core of me here with the, the Matt Luke stuff. I really just hope this just ends with Matt Luke doing like a no, sir, video, which would be awesome. Um, but you, you hit on Pittman a, a lot here, and I think, you know, he's somebody that is going to impact obviously what he's going to do at Arkansas, but there's there's such a, a kind of a domino effect of him leaving Georgia with how good of a recruiter he was. With him going to Arkansas and you having two other new SEC coaches before early signing period, which new head coach will have the most to gain or lose come signing day? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I really was wanted to do my yes, sir, right here, but I didn't know where you're going with that question because it's not going to be Arkansas. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to be them Razorbacks, unfortunately. I think they just got too too much ground to make up. Still don't know who the offensive coordinator is. Waiting to see who that one is, but love to hire Barry Odom and, you know, your fans of uh, everyone here in Missouri and Arkansas should know if they're true Razorback fans, if they're true Mizzou fans. I think Barry Odom has recruited the state of Arkansas better than anyone on the Razorback staff the last couple years. He's obviously making a lot of inroads there in St. Louis and Missouri, so he's the best recruiter in Missouri in my mind. Now the Razorbacks hire someone that know their state, they know a rival state. I mean, that was just a hell of a hire by Pittman. But like I said, they've got so much ground to make up. What, he, what he's trying to sell to people right now is do not sign that early. Let, give us a month and a half here. Wait till February. See this staff we're going to get. I really like Sam Pittman. The more I get to know him, the more you get to hear him. Uh, he's going to be a heck of a recruiter there for Arkansas. It's just not going to be right away. And I think the man that uh, – and, and Dinkowitz, oh, my God. I mean, they're losing <laughs> hometown kids this week, so – I, I, that's one thing that I've got a huge question mark. I think he is a good X's and O's coach, but recruiting, I'm not on board till I see it. So the obvious answer, Lane Kiffin, and that's another one. You want to talk about a big flip candidate here, Texas A&M offensive tackle, Chris Morris. He's been locked in for a long time. 
he visited Oxford this weekend. He's on the lane train, baby, so look for Chris Morris <laughs> to end up at Ole Miss. Whenever there's a, a touted player in Memphis, they always find their way down to Oxford. Somehow, some way, the bag man finds a way down there. It's a short distance for him to drive. So uh, I, I think Chris Morris is going to make that flip. Lane Kiffin's going to make a splash here on early signing period. So we know that you've got a, a very heavy interest in all things Tennessee. Uh, it's been interesting following Pruitt in his progress recruiting. He finished last year's class really, really well. I don't know necessarily you're, you're going to have more insight on this, the, the expectation as to how he's going to finish, but what grade would you give his class so far, and how do you think he's ultimately going to be able to round out this class? Uh, you know, I'd give him – maybe like a B minus because I think that start to the season really killed them. There was prospects. Mm -hmm. They were in on some elite five-star talent that I think they really sold them all off season. They got in a really good position and what the message was, Hey, last year, obviously five and seven, that's going to be our worst year. You know, put it, take that to the bank. Then they come out. zero and two and all these kids are like, Oh my God, this guy's, this guy's just a damn salesman. He's another Butch Jones. I think, Clearly, he's not another Butch Jones. He's on a he's a different level, a different kind of coach, a little bit more honest, and I think that's turned off some kids too. So I'm not saying he's doing a bad job. Like you said, there's been a number of elite players they brought in, even some three star type players that they they've shown they can develop into decent players there for the for the Vols. But uh, that slow start really hurt them. They've been they've been missing out on way too many guys in state, and I think that's really killed them last year. There was three defensive linemen, all that they all wanted. They got signed by the Bulldogs. You simply cannot have that if you're trying to catch Georgia. This year, much the same. They're losing. They lost one in-state lineman to Kentucky. I don't know how that happens. Uh, they had another kid who he made his recruitment video to Tennessee, committed to him several times over, and then right before here for signer day, he commits to Auburn. So, I mean, you just can't have that. You can't have. You can't be losing these kids from nearby your your home school there to out-of-state SEC opponents. Now, I said all that bad stuff. I mean, they've done plenty of good stuff, too. Uh, I just, like I said, it's probably a B, B-minus right now. I think they're they're currently sitting around 20-ish in the rankings. I think they'll they'll finish with a top 15 class, with, which is solid. But if you're sitting there at 7-5, and five, maybe at an 8-5, and five, you win this bowl game. I think Tennessee fans are expecting a little bit more. And uh, I, I just don't know how quickly Tennessee is going to be able to catch a Georgia, a Florida and Alabama, these teams are always looking up at if they're just finishing around top 15. They need to, they need to get some a uh, little bit more elite recruits getting in the top 10 here, kind of like uh, our boy Henry T. That's a yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, one, I don't think y'all ever will catch up, um, which is fine. We can talk about it. Uh, obviously, I'm kidding. No, that that I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, but that was such a huge get last year. Tennessee, I thought did a really good job of of kind of like addressing their needs last year, especially with that offensive line class. What team or which team or teams have addressed their needs the most uh, with this 2020 recruiting class? Mm, which team has, you know, I'll go right here with you. I'll say, well, I don't know if it's really a necessarily a need, obviously, right now, because they're killing it, but it remains to be seen what the offense is going to look like next season with old uh, Joe Burrow going to the NFL. We'll see who else is going to the NFL, but I really love what LSU's done with a pair of five stars they've got in. This uh, Rakeem Jarrett, that's one of the guys I was referencing there that Tennessee was, you know, they all but had this kid, they thought. And then this 0-2 start happened, and the next thing you know, he's not taking uh, 
Pruitt's calls. He's taking Coach O's calls. So Rakeem Jarrett, he may be the number one receiver in the nation. I think he's going to be huge for them next season. And then they got a kid, uh, another kid that Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, everybody wanted him, Eric Gilbert, tight end. I don't know if he finishes his college career as a tight end. I think he's going to tr- transition to receiver. He's just he's a huge, wow. big body kid. He reminds me of Julio Jones. I mean, I think he's that Heard type of, of impact for LSU in the coming seasons. Eric Gilbert, that's the next guy there. And then uh, another school that's done really well, South Carolina. I mean, they're desperate for running back next season. They're going to be losing some guys. Uh, if you've heard the name Marshawn Lloyd. He's an elite mm-hmm. running back. Everybody in the country wants this kid. I think he's going to be the bell cow of South Carolina's offense next year. And then a kid that's been hyped since about his sophomore year, Michael Wyman, the receiver. South Carolina's they desperately need help at receiver as well. So I, I don't think he's going to come on the scene and be all SEC next year, but I think he'll make an impact for the game Cops, Coach Bobo. I really like what uh, South Carolina's getting in those two kids. Speaking of South Carolina, another skill player, Luke Doty, the four-star quarterback from Myrtle Beach. He's He was recruited by Dan Werner, so I'm sure a lot of South Carolina fans are sort of wondering what he'd think about about his firing, about the Bobo hire. I, I've got a two-part question for you. So do you think that there's any sort of last-minute change of heart? That's, that's the first part. And then probably more importantly, how in the world does Will Muschamp keep getting these blue-chip quarterbacks? It's baffling. Ain't you ever heard of the Bagman before? Bagman's <laughs> down there in Columbia, I'm sure, because you know it seems Bag like Bagman's every everywhere, though, right? Well, there, yeah, but Muschamp, man, he's he must have. Uh, you know, you heard he's not taking a pay raise, right? He's he's kicking I mean, that money down to the Bagman. So, yeah, every year <laughs> South Carolina lands an All-American at quarterback, and every year it seems like I'm I'm big on the I call him Heislinski. As soon as I saw this kid play, I thought he was going to win the Heisman one day. I think he was, you know, we obviously know he was banged up all year. So I think he's the first one that I've seen in a while that's kind of lived up to the hype. I mean, you can even go back to uh, they had a kid named McIlwain who kind of came in there, and he was he was terrible. And then Jake Bentley, he beat Tennessee. I don't, I don't think he ever did anything after that. So I don't know. Doty, I don't, it's so hard for these guys to come in and be, you know, impact players year one. And I think South Carolina fans saw that. Everybody wanted to see – Heislinski, throw it out, slinging it out there. He came in against who was it, Charleston Southern, and looked like the best quarterback in the nation. He kind of, I thought he fared well against Alabama, but once they had tape on him, once he got a little banged up, then they were coming out and calling for Jake Bentley again. So I have no idea how Will Muschamp keeps getting all these quarterbacks to answer your question outside of maybe the bag man. I'm, I'm kind of kidding when I'm saying <laughs> that kind of not, but yeah, I don't know. They keep getting them. I think South Carolina. They've got the the player of the year in that state three years in a row. And I know fans are pretty mad at uh, Muschamp there in, in the state and everything he's done. But considering the machine that Dabo's got there, I think you've got to give Muschamp some credit for getting the number one player from South Carolina three years in a row now. That really is like not enough is made of that. that that's an incredible, incredible sure. set. Um, all right. Speaking of the other school in the Palmetto State, Clemson, as much as I hate it, uh, Currently has the number one class, which could change in like the next seven minutes. I don't know. But they have six five-stars, and 11 of their 22 total commits are in the top 100, which is crazy. Um, how much better can this class actually get after signing day, and do you think they finish with the number one class? Well, I'll tell you what. Them kids must love cupcakes because that's all they're going to see down there in the <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know. If they can't. There's a kid uh, out of California, I think his name, Justin Flowell, I think is how you say his name. He's an elite linebacker, five-star. I think he's top five prospect. He could be going there. Like we hit on Jordan Birch, he could be going there as well. But like I said, obviously he didn't spend his last weekend there at Clemson, so I, I, Tiger's not trending. So class can get better, unfortunately, but uh, I don't know. Like I said, these kids just love them cupcakes, I guess. I don't I, I would think you want to be developed, get ready for the NFL, but uh, I guess I can't blame him. I'm a fat guy too. I like cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> What's the the under the radar storyline that we should be watching out for this week? Hmm, under the radar. You know, a lot of people are not going to care about this, but outside of the bluegrass state, but I think uh, the job that Mark Stoops continues to do yeah. in recruiting. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, he's beaten out. Tennessee for people. He's beaten out, uh, you know, ACC powers for a lot of these kids. And they're not going to have a top 10 class, but I think they're going to be a top 20. They're going to be top 15 to 20 range, depending on who they get. They're in it for a number of four-star prospects, including about two or three more guys that Tennessee desperately wants. If they sweep that, uh, as good as a coach and a developer that Mark Stoops is, I don't think he gets enough credit for the recruiter that he is. And uh, that's one where uh, they continue going to continue to get disrespect next year. I'm sure. Yeah, Kentucky will pick them sixth or seventh or what have you. Lynn Bowden's gone, what have you. But South Carolina or excuse me, Kentucky with Mark Stoops. Uh, I, I just can't say enough good things about that guy. He's he's probably never going to win the SEC, but I don't know if that's really the expectations there. He's going to win seven to nine games the rest of his time there, and. Uh, he's going to have a statue there if he stays there his entire career. That's such a good point. <clears throat> I mean, the, we, we saw it today. The fact that he's got three four-stars and they're in the top 25, at, at even at this stage in the recruiting process or, or like the recruiting cycle is really impressive. Um, last question for me. One name we don't know now, but everyone in the SEC will know next season. All right. Uh, let me go to Tennessee's list here because it's going to be one of them. Trust me. <laughs> 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 I think but I think it's last year's like John Rice Plumley was kind of that guy. So like I, I mean we were pronouncing his name wrong for an entire offseason. I think that that there's like when you bring up something like this, we're gonna we're gonna hark back to it. So if you get this right, just remember that like we're gonna give you credit for the rest of time, even like by the time this kid graduates or goes off to the NFL. So just keep that in mind. You know, John Rice was supposed to be playing for Georgia. They yep. they yeah. did him dirty. And now he's at Ole Miss killing it. He may be. He may win the Heisman there with uh, Lane Kiffin. So watch out for Boom. that game. How, here we go. One from Tennessee. This is uh, the guy that I. And this is another one. This is one where Kentucky and Mark Stoops trying to steal this kid. He may be the next Lynn Bowden there for the Wildcats. But if he sticks with his commitment to Tennessee, I think he's going to be a star next year. Jimmy Callaway. He plays quarterback. He plays running back. He plays receiver. He's going to have to be that slot option, explosive play, uh, because Tennessee is losing so many of their receivers. If Garantano comes back, if all the pieces uh, – Trey Smith is probably going to go, but if he comes back, uh, they got all the running backs back, the missing piece there is going to be at receiver. I think Cal uh, – they've got some guys coming back, but Jimmy Callaway, that's one where I could see him making a big impact for the balls next season, being a returner, those things. So uh, Jimmy Callaway, that's my guy. Marler, did you write that down? I got, I got it. So I'll, I'll make sure I, we, we save that. And we, we, we definitely Whatever. 
yeah, we'll uh, we'll warm over that. Um, last question here for you. People think that you hate Florida, so consider this your opportunity to say something nice about a really, really solid class that Dan Mullen has been able to build. Uh, it should be better. I mean, oh man, <laughs> should be better. I mean, I still I don't understand this talk where he he walks in the door. He won ten games last year, where they have like the number twelve class, and half the kids got dismissed before fall camp started. I mean, how's that not a bigger topic? Uh, they just won, what are they, they've won 20 games in the last two years. They should have the number one class. I don't know what Dan Mullen's doing. So I'll say that about his recruiting. I'm still not bought in. But I've seen a lot of hype for Jeremy Pruitt, coach of the year. I think that's disgraceful. I mean, did we forget September 21st when Tennessee went down to Gainesville, lost 34-3? to Did we forget that Felipe Franks, first month of the season, his leg is, you know, destroyed? and they're losing the game, they come back on the road and beat Kentucky, do we forget that many of the key players for Florida's defense got you know, limited throughout the season and they're still out here grinding away? They don't, they're lacking depth all over the defense, but they're still getting it, getting it done. I mean, I think Florida, uh, all this talk of you know, should Alabama get in there, should for Georgia be in the playoff discussion, I don't understand why it wasn't Florida. I think it should have been the Gators. I think if you put the Gators and the Sooners on the field right now, I think the Gators would beat the hell out of them. I mean, so Whoa. Dan Mullen is an elite coach, terrible recruiter. Uh, I hope I hope the, the Gator fans can appreciate that compliment. That was such a mixed bag. I would expect I would expect nothing less. That was actually pretty good. That was a lot more complimentary than I, than I thought you were going to go. That's 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 fine though. I think I think Florida fans will, will take that coming from you. You know, that given how much they've called you out and stuff on Twitter. But um, you know, you you continue to as I as I said at the top. You know, you, you crank out great work for us on the news team, and you know your recruiting insights are are second to none. So appreciate you coming on always. And if you don't yet subscribe to that SEC podcast, you can hear more of Michael's lovely voice breaking down all things SEC, all things recruiting as well. Uh, Michael, uh, are you going to get into some uh, some Appalachian State fans on uh, on Wednesday, or are you going to stay out of their mentions? I mean, I only discuss teams that uh, ranked in the top 100 of the recruiting rankings. Ooh. So no, I'll be <laughs> I will not be discussing Appy State uh, this week. No, I've done, I'm done with them. Savage, savage. Well, we will uh, we'll have you back on sometime soon. Here, we'll uh, we'll have to talk all things recruiting. Probably probably February, which seems like a really really long time away, but I'm sure that's going to sneak up on us just like this did. So, uh, Michael, appreciate you coming on, man, and uh, we'll do this again real soon. Absolutely, thanks, boys. Thanks, thanks man. Guys. Kind of amazing to think that early signing period is already here. I feel like. Man, with with the way that the, the the calendar is set up, it just it sneaks up on you in a hurry. Usually, I'm still used to the February signing period, where you know you just the traditional February signing day, where you get a month to prepare for it. You get a lot of time to be able to really dig into it. And I kind of find myself, you know, you follow the storylines and you see the stuff that's going up there, but to really dig into it, there are certain things that jumped out to me that I, I did not realize until looking at it this week. I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it creeps up every year now with the early signing period. But like, yeah, my, like one of my favorite days to skip school in college you was always oh, it was the best, man. The first Wednesday of of uh, February, we would just go find, and it got weird after a while because we had to go find a dorm room to crash. But whatever, it was uh, it was perfect. Was the only they only had that channel. That's why. Yeah. Moving on, oh. things are weird. Let's talk about our good friends at Texas Pete. Um, and I've got a little bit of an announcement to make. It, it, I've been saying it for 
probably a year and a half. Diet starts today, Connor. Boom. We've got four days. I'm sorry, four months till the wedding. Four months. Better than four April, days. That, thank God for that. April 24th. Uh, so we have like a little over four months till the wedding. And I was, you know, trying to figure out, like, we're both trying to get in shape because you have to have these pictures forever. Usually I just untag myself. Can't do that with wedding pictures. Learn that the hard way. Um, it's a whole divorce thing. It's real messy. Regardless, one good news. I've learned about this diet that I'm about to go on. Do many calories are in Texas, Pete? Not many. Zero! Don't quote me on that. But I'm pretty confident it's zero. It's not many uh, if, it, if it is any. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost none. I'm not great at math. But I'm pretty sure it's almost none. So, uh, Texas Pete will not only be a staple of my holidays, but it'll be a staple of my diet and my life for the next four and a half months. Um, pretty easy cop-out. I'm pretty excited that I get to use it. Uh, as much as we talk about it, it's, it's going to be great. I don't like salads. I love Texas Pete. You could put, you could use that as a salad dressing. Let's say, what else you could use it for? Stocking stuffers. So this Christmas, get your family and the ones you love the gift that means the most. And that is the gift of flavor. So... Uh, get yourself some Texas Pete, fill up those stockings, uh, give them, you know what, if it's, if you don't like a family member, give them some kind of knockoff brand that's not as good as Texas Pete, fine. Yep. But for the ones you love, get Texas Pete, make sure you send us all the pictures of your tailgating, of your bowl season tailgating, of your Christmas tailgating, which is a thing, uh, under the hashtag sauce like you mean it. There you so, go. So you know what I did this morning? You know, usually, as you know, I'm a big eggs and avocados guy. I like my spinach in there as well. I was out of spinach. I was out of avocados, and I was thinking to myself, what in the world am I going to do to make my eggs? I was out of salsa, too. Salsa is usually what I use in my eggs. Not good. I had a spinach wrap. I had eggs. I had peppers that we grow in our garden, which are very, very good. I'm near the end of the rope on that. I'm very sad about that. I'm going to have to wait a few months, but that's neither here nor there. And I had a little bit of Texas peat. And you know what I did? Got a couple of eggs, got my peppers, doused it in Texas peat, boom, meal. Put it on my spinach wrap. Love it. It's just breakfast. I mean, honestly, I might go back to my high school thing where I just putting deli meat in a bag, dousing the Texas Pete and yep. shaking it up. Yep. It worked then. Anyway, moving on to fourth and wrong. Um, this was a, uh, we decided to throw this one in there, a little extra fourth and wrong for you. We're going to do two this week. Yep. So each and every week we ask you to tell us your best non-football related questions or advice you want answered. We have four uh, for this week. Connor, are you ready? Uh, born ready. No, I wasn't born ready, but I am ready now. Yeah. There you go. All right. First question. Ideas on what to do on Christmas on Christmas Day if you're not spending it with family. That's from Paige Cooper. Okay. So some some details are important with this. If you're able to spend it with a friend and crash their holiday party, that's great. Like I said, that Christmas that I spent in Florida four years ago, and I went to my buddy Chris Stoney's place. Spent it with his family all day. It was awesome. Can't recommend it enough. They always say, oh, yeah, you don't have to do any of the helping or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's a meal that's just there. It's good. It, you feel like you're surrounded by family. It's a lot of fun. doesn't matter how well you know the rest of the family, but just hanging out with a friend on Christmas, not a bad way to go. If you don't want to do that that route, you want to go a little bit more, you know, kind of do the, the homebody thing, binge watch movies all day all yeah. day if there's ever a day in which you can be unproductive and feel totally fine about it it is christmas yeah i would agree with that that's good um for me first off i love watching nba on christmas day usually yeah, you right. had a little it's bit of a little cash sent to you um you know you can gamble with that all right just throwing that out there 
Gambling doesn't stop just because football season's over um, or almost over. So I, I, I've had several Christmases alone. I love the, the movie binge watching. Also, I'll just say it. This is going to sound sad, but it's not. Some of my favorite Christmases, because I've had to spend a lot, honestly, without family, is uh, there's like my, my favorite bar in Atlanta, Diesel, the one that put my name on the bar. Big day for me. Sick brag, yeah. Um, a lot of those people that go there like that are regulars or like transplants, you can go find a bar. It's one of the biggest days of the year for movies and for, for bars because people want to get away from their families. So either go to the movies in the afternoon and then when bars open up at like five, go hang out with, make sure it's not a seedy bar, but go hang out with some of the locals and the regulars uh, that are in the same boat as you. So that is my answer. Paige, if I was in, if I was in Columbia, we would hang out for sure. Uh, second question, what is on your Christmas list this year? That's from Joe Morrison. So I've already gotten a couple couple Christmas gifts already. Um, I was just telling you this. The new, I know no free ads, but uh, Felix Gray makes these glasses to help with digital eye strain. Um, they look good. They're, they're really well built. I've been wanting these for a while. What we do for our job, looking at computers all day, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten the digital eye strain headache and it is yeah. just the worst. So getting these, something that I'm going to wear a lot now to be able to, to work with them, to be able to watch 16 hours of football, really, really helpful. So something like that. I always need, this is going to be a sick brag here, I always need workout clothes. I always find yeah. myself wanting to get more, live right by the outlets here. So if I can go, go down to the Nike outlets, Under Armour outlets, I'm all about that as well. Um, always could use a new pair of shoes. I mean, like shoe la la. Uh, it's just a shoe store for every occasion in a man's life. Uh, no, <laughs> but a I, deep I cut. Use, That's so good. Yeah, I could use uh, some new shoes as well. So we're uh, kind of all over the place, but nothing, nothing too crazy. I might go get myself a new suit this Christmas. I don't know. Ooh, yeah. Um, so I don't like for the first time ever. I think I, I honestly mean this. I don't really need anything or want anything. Um, You're like blessed. from Allie, especially. Like I mean, we did, we just had we bought a house and we got the dog and we just have like we had a great year. If I had to say something, so glasses, my, I have two pairs of glasses. One of them actually work because the other ones are like 18,000 years old. But my favorite pair, Queso bit off the end of them and like, sure. so like chewed up the entire side. So I, well, I wouldn't say that. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> would love, would love to get a new pair of glasses as well. God, we're lame. Uh, let's see. Bourbon's always a nice gift. Some, I, I need like grown up clothes, I think. Like, a, like not a suit necessarily. But I definitely need like, like some more ties and like pocket squares, pocket squares especially. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and socks and stuff like that. The workout clothes, not for the same reason as you, because I don't work out as much as you. I just sweat more than you, even though I don't work out as much. That's true. So if like you know some Under Armour half zips, would love that. Oh, love that. Uh, maybe some more sound stuff. Maybe I do want stuff for Christmas. I yeah, know. I think you do. I think you just. I tell you what, what I need more than anything is jeans, and because I'm we've talked about this before. I'm like a big. I have one pair of jeans that I like. And, and I just ride with those. And the one pair that I like uh, has a about four to five inch hole ripped in the crotch. And you cannot wear those in public, especially around the holidays. It's family time. So there you go. Uh, third question. If you had an unlimited budget, what would you organize for a team building event for SDS? I just left a team building event for my company that started at 6 a.m. So anything would be better. That's from Emery Picker. Yowza. All right. I'm going to paint a little picture for you, Emery. This is going to be something that you're you're going to get on board with and maybe just throwing it out there and kind of wishing it into existence is going to work. We got the deal with Sweet Hop. I'm just saying Ooh. there's a certain national championship that's being played in New Orleans, a place that we now love, love, yeah. love, love. Well, I already and, did, but yeah. And yeah, I already did just based on principle. But now 
we get a suite at the national championship, unlimited budget, we go on Bourbon Street, we go have dinner at a place that doesn't get shot up like the one that we went to on that Thursday night. Bourbon Street might have actually been safer in hindsight. Bourbon Street might have been safer in hindsight. You know, Marler hits the casino again. Boom! Wins a thousand bucks on playing craps. You know, I, It'll I pay think for that, itself. I, I think it would. So I think that, and we could spin it that way too, of just saying, oh yeah, you would basically cover it with what you're able to do gambling the first night that we're there, and you're going to just take care of the rest of it. So that would be the ultimate team-building thing to be able to do. Yeah, I'm so glad you didn't say ziplining or something stupid like that. No, that would be a, no, no. Yeah. Like, whenever I think of, like, team-building, I think of, like, all right, guys, we're going to do some trust falls. And the 6 a.m. thing, that almost guaranteed that means he still had to go to work that day, which is, that is tough. Ugh. That is tough. Um, like, corporate team-building is, is always awful. But I, I would say I love your idea. Absolutely love your idea. I wish that we would just do something like once every quarter, especially in the off season, like ramping up to, or maybe maybe just like at media days and then once in like the spring. Like maybe we go to the SEC basketball tournament or maybe we do like oh, that'd be good. SEC baseball tournament and just, you know, like how's everyone been? Because we don't get to see each other that much and, and you know, kind of brainstorm and all that kind of stuff and, and have more of a close-knit. We have one team-building event a year with SDS, and it's become a tradition now. We always do top golf wherever SEC Media Days is. And it's fun. Right. Don't get me wrong. It's great. Yeah. We just wish we could do three more events like that as well. Agreed. And like most of the people in our company are like pretty outdoorsy and, and outgoing and like fun. Yeah. Um, like We can go like hunting. Get, go like I don't know what an elk is. It seems Shout like out. a big moose. Shout out one of our bosses and one of our co-founders, John Cooper, who could definitely show us uh, kills an, an elk like yeah for every sure. couple of days. Yeah, like you know what, just like bow and arrow hunting. Yeah, let's let's get yeah. real old school with there it. There you go. Down. Um, so that, that's what I would say. Last but not least, this is a great question, Christian Perkins. What is the furthest you would travel for a wedding of a close friend? Okay, so a close friend. If you are really close, you are probably in that wedding. If you not are, in the wedding. You're, okay, so if you're not in a wedding, that's an interesting question. If you're in the question. wedding, you got to go. It's an interesting question. I think there are a lot of external variables that are associated with it. Um, how much it's going to cost you to be able to fly there, what you've done, like if you went to this person's bachelor party beforehand or something like that, or bachelorette party, whatever it is. I had a buddy who uh, went, to my, he went to my bachelor party down here, somebody that I keep in touch with who uh, lives up in, actually, this lived up in, in New York for a while, lives in Texas as well. He was getting married in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I thought long and hard about that because anybody that's been to San Juan knows San Juan is awesome. It is a lot of fun. We went there on our cruise a couple years ago. And I really, really thought about it. But the timing of it, we were just going to be getting back from our honeymoon. And I thought, you know what? That would be just too tough of an expense to, to incur. But I think that the furthest you can travel for a wedding, I would say don't spend more than... Six hundred, seven bucks, seven hundred bucks on it on the wedding. Well, I was going to say like a thousand or fifteen. Because yeah, I mean, like then you well, factor in everything else, and if you got to, uh, I guess maybe yeah, keep it under a thousand bucks, and you got to really like this person. These are you have better friends than I do, I think, because I I hate destination weddings, and my best friend Jeff had one in Kiowa, which that was fine, that was fun, but like when you get to a destination wedding, the, it, everything adds up so quickly. It you does. know what I mean? It, it's it's tough, and like so, like with, like with Allie and I, it's tough because her she's from Oregon and her, she has family in L.A. and and they're all on the West Coast, so it's like we're gonna get married here in Atlanta because this is where we met, and and that was her decision, um, just so that's clear. 
But like, that's a tough trip, you know, going across across the country and all that kind of stuff. I, I've had, I had one horrible ex that like got mad that I didn't go to a, uh, a destination wedding in Tulum. And it just so happened that like, I, like I was so bartending, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get a full week off. Like that could be tough. And then my grandma passed away. So I couldn't go. And I, it was like this whole issue is like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, which is I think how a lot of couples try to build it up. They they kind of do, but at the same time, here's here's the thing that if you're if you're on the fence about that and you're really worried about how this is going to be perceived, people know that you're not going to the, that the likelihood of you showing up at their wedding is kind of is a little is is irrelevant to a certain extent because you're probably going to be getting them a gift anyways if you're invited. Right. And if you it costs them obviously money if if let, let's say they're having the wedding out in California and you got to fly in. And the, it costs money for them to be able to host you. They're still going to get the gift regardless. So if you're not going to the wedding and you just decide, you know what, I can't make that trip, then make sure that you get them a gift. The thing that you you could do also, if it's a bachelor or bachelorette party, really classy move. You can't be there. You don't want to make the the trip all the way out there. Whatever, spend several hundred dollars. Find out what restaurant they're going to be at. Get a bottle sent to the yeah, table. Send it out bottle to of wine, bottle of bourbon, whatever it is, and have the have the waiter or waitress deliver it to the table. Yeah. Very, very classy, good way to make an impression. I think I just you know, that that specific thing with like the Tulum, it was like their best friend or whatever. And I just remember literally the next year her other best friend was also getting married in Tulum. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so That's I guess it's not a once in a lifetime, it's just a twice in a lifetime thing. Yep. Um and I've had like one friend that met a girl I guess online, probably mail order bride. Um, and they got married in Mongolia. Fun town. That's where their, she was from, but he wanted to have his bachelor party and wedding in Mongolia, like a month apart, back to back. Oh, no, like, that's I didn't criminal. know Mongolia was a that. place. I was like, that's like a place. That's a, a fictional country in risk or in social studies from 1988. Mm-hmm. Had no idea. Um, I think like the, the biggest thing is this. Like, they know what they're doing by having the destination wedding. If you If it's going to be something where it's a hassle to you, like if you can't get off work, like if you have a job like where you cannot... Get yeah. off work for that amount of time, like then yeah, there's it's not your fault. Don't do something that's gonna make you feel resentful, or if you are going into it with the mindset of like this isn't gonna be fun. Because if most of them are, are gonna be like you know in the mountains for skiing, or they're gonna be like in a beach, something like place nice. If you if you can't go to one of those places because you can't afford it, or you can't get off work, or, it's, or you you're not gonna have a good time in a place that's supposed to be that cool, then just don't go. Just also, don't don't sacrifice yourself on that. Also, along those same lines, the rule of, oh, well, they attended my wedding. I need to attend theirs no matter what. That does don't not care. apply because if it's more convenient for them to attend your wedding, like our wedding was in was in Bloomington, Indiana. We, we were living in Orlando during the time. We flew to our own wedding for the, the vast majority of people that came to our wedding. And there were people that came in from California. We had people come in from Boston. The vast majority of people had a shorter trip to our wedding than what we actually had. So if you think about it, and if you expect somebody to travel across the country, you know, for you know, for for their wedding, whatever it is, don't feel like it's always reciprocal. Like you need to do exactly yeah. what they did. That's not how that works. It's, it's I, a convenience thing. It depends on job, financial situation, all those different things. I can tell you firsthand with like just going through the wedding planning right now, because I was like I was a pretty staunch a hole about most of this in the past. Like especially like when I worked bartending, I was like. Your, your schedule is not the same. You can't just take a week off because that's just not how that yeah. company works. Like, you don't have like vacation time. I mean, $1,000, I think, is 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 the the limit, you know, or maybe maybe 1500 because a lot of this stuff happens like, in your uh, yeah. late 20s too. It's not like we're all adults and like I was always behind on like, like financially trying to go to these things. Like, you know, but the issue I would have is the, the whole thing about being like reciprocal for the wedding. We're inviting, I wish I could invite 300 people to our wedding. 
I, w- I wish we could do that. It is so damn expensive for each person that shows up. Yep. It like doesn't matter if you're there or not. Like if if again, if you think you can, you'll go and it'll be fun. And you'll have a good time and it's a memory. Go. But if it's gonna do anything where you're gonna be mad about it, yeah, stay at home. Just stay home. A blender. Get a nice gift. Yeah, they'll be happy. They'll be just fine with it. Let's end with it might mean too much. I don't really have anything specific for this. Just a reminder to everybody who's listening. This needs to be said each and every time that we talk about the early signing period, the real signing day, whatever it is. Do not, under any circumstances, tweet at recruits. You're going to see it. You're going to see commitments that are made, kids flipping at the last second. You're going to see people that are going to comment on social media and say, wow, good luck not playing there for four years or good luck never winning an SEC title, blah, blah, blah. Don't be that person. And even another thing as well, don't get into a conversation with that person because nobody wins. They're crazy. And then you're just like, you're dealing with a crazy person. You say, why did I just waste a half hour of my life tweeting at this person who thought that it was okay to tweet at recruits? Don't, don't be part of the cycle. Just look at that person and laugh at them and realize that they have way too much time on their hands to be able to sit there and criticize a kid, an 18, 17, 18 year old kid for tweet, for committing to a certain school. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah. Just show up at whatever, you know, American Legion uh, destination wedding they end up having yep. three years from now and then let them know how stupid they are then. Heckle them. Yes. That's yes. The time. You don't have a lot of wedding heckles. That'd be good. Uh, wedding heckles would be good. Just kind of keep you honest. You know, it's a kind of a day of, as you're going to learn, it's a day of praise and you feel like all the attention's on you. But just to get a little bit of that outside, you know, just keep, keep me a little bit balanced. I think everybody needs that. If you have not yet, make sure that you join our Facebook group. We're going to, as we said earlier, we're going to post the college bowl pick'em group in that. As soon as Marler figures out the link, we're going to get that up. Confidence pool this year, a little bit different than last year. Got any questions on that? Let us know. It should be pretty self-explanatory. You think that Bama's going to beat Michigan, and you have no doubt about it, that's going to get your highest amount of confidence points. You think that uh, maybe Clemson's going to beat Ohio State. You're not really sure. That's going to be at one on your confidence points. So whatever, that's going to be up. That's going to be great. Really looking forward to that. Facebook Live. What day are we doing that this week? What day, what day should we? Monday? Monday's, I think Monday's Monday's good because I think people kind of need a little bit of that that pick me up. Oh, right? you know what? This week though, we'll do it. Um, we'll definitely do it Wednesday after signing day. Wednesday after signing day. All right, mm-hmm. excellent. Um, we're gonna have a lot of great signing day content as well. Like I said, make sure you're following us on all forms of social media at the SDS Pod, at Fern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara on Twitter, follow us on Instagram at Saturday Down South. Follow all of our great, great writers who are gonna be killing it for us as expected. All right, Coach O, I know you left. Well, he's gone. He's gone. You stuck oh, with me, man. Say. Offensive line coach. I'm gonna tell you something right now. Offensive line. You want to talk about Matt Luke? Offensive line coach, Georgia football. It might mean too much. Talk to you guys on Wednesday.